0: Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s. On the Citaphobe Pod YouTube page, you can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too. At Count the Dings One on YouTube. At Citaphobe Pod on YouTube. Patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show.
2: This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news.
4: genuinely mistaken for someone is, I was at a bar in Charlotte, right by the NBA arena here in town. And the server comes up to me. She says, Hey, Jason. I was like, Oh, I'm not Jason. And she says, Oh, I thought you were Jason. You always come in here when you're in town. I was like, Oh, sorry. Who's, who's Jason? And she goes, an NBA referee. I was like, wait a minute. I cover the NBA. Who is the NBA referee? And she says, Jason Goebel. And I was I looked him up and I'm a dead ringer for a Jason Goebel NBA referee.
3: I used to get Zidane, the French soccer player, which is very flattering because he looks like a badass Mossad agent. <laughs> and I don't. So, I but it, it happened constantly, which sounds like I'm flattering myself, but I'm actually not.
4: I think Zidane is good. I think that's a great one, a doppelganger that you should be really excited about. I also kind of feel like you got a little Jay Billis going on. I got a little get Jay that?
3: Billis. No, so two, basically two world-class athletes in their time, <laughs> I look like. Fantastic. I'm good with that. If you're good with it, I'm good with it. Your knives i'm kevin Arnobitz,
4: and i'm tom haberstroh
3: tom episode four we're getting into it i think we're learning a lot more this was one of my favorite challenges elimination challenges ever and uh and i'm also uh i am now reaping <laughs> the terror of my bad drafting uh which we'll talk about more but um I really feel like the show kind of is starting to reveal things that weren't previously revealed about these contestants. You realize how hard it is to draw huge conclusions from the first couple of episodes. You kind of have to get into it. I think we're seeing more about the field and the quickfire challenge, Tom, right up your alley.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, this was just a delightful episode uh, from start to finish. I loved this episode, especially because I can't remember if we've done the doppelganger. Challenge before on this show, but I would go to a doppelganger re- restaurant tomorrow. Like that seems like so much fun. Like Tom Colicchio and Wiley Dufrane, all of them just having the time of their lives eating these two diff- different dishes uh, that look the same. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was Top Chef at its peak um, in ways that. You know, it separates itself. It's not a gimmick. It really takes talent to create two visually identical dishes, but have very underlying differences. Um, and of course, the the biscuit challenge at the top, um, you know, it, I'm I'm a little here's my thing. Do you think that you can make a biscuit without knowing how to make a biscuit? Because a lot of these shiftestans, Kevin said at the top that they didn't know how to make a biscuit or they've never made one and yet they did so i'm questioning whether there was like a little tutorial from Padma and uh, what was his name Chris Chris Williamson um at the top like how did jay just kind of make a biscuit out of thinner i know i know you can kind of maybe retrofit a biscuit just based basically knowing the ingredients of it but did you get the sense that they were a little too good at making a biscuit after not knowing how to make one? I
3: mean, possibly. I My sense is – well, first of all, I mean as we know and chefs on the show have explained it for years – is like baking is an entirely different sport than cooking. And like we heard Jay say it in the intro, like I don't bake. I, th- I think it was actually last week. Like I don't bake. Um, I'm the same way. Like I don't bake for different reasons. I didn't learn how to bake because if I did learn how to bake, I would make like like miles of lemon squares every night and just eat them all. <laughs> yeah. You know, like baking would be really dangerous if I kept the flour and sugar in the house and, and had the capacity to do something with it. But I think I just get the sense that If you're on top chef, you have a baseline of understanding of how to, you know, if not bake, kind of there is some middle ground between them. You're constantly making kind of starches and breadiness and even the fact that you're making kind of these crumbles and stuff. I mean, that is technically baking, even if you're not a baker. So I get the sense that, first of all, I got the sense that not every biscuit was all that good. Yeah. So while they, they, they did it, they didn't necessarily do it well. But I think you have to at least if you just hang out in a kitchen that long, like you are in restaurants, right? You're not the pastry chef, but you work alongside possibly a pastry chef. You are watching others. You pick up. so I have to imagine, Tom, just if we, if we want to completely go kind of behind the curtain, you're getting ready for a Houston-based Top Chef challenge, which is still in the American South, though we can have a separate conversation about whether Texas is the South. You kind of know at some point, even if you aren't in Texas, you're going to be asked to bake something at some point. And I just think that, like, you've got to believe that knowing how to do a biscuit. I mean, I can't imagine anybody goes into a a, a challenge or a, a season in Kentucky or – or Charleston or Texas without at least saying, yeah, this might come up on the quiz.
4: Right, it's almost like an NBA player right before the combine, just making sure that they get the basics down. Um, or any sort of NBA uh, tryout, making sure you can dribble around a traffic cone a couple times. There are certain things you know that you have to nail down at the basics. And the the biscuit loved this comment from Jay.
0: I am walking into the kitchen thinking that it's gonna be a great day,
4: and I see. These biscuits.
0: I don't bake. I don't like baking. I just like to get baked.
4: <laughs> so Jay comes in with a fried chicken with biscuits. Um, I feel like that's a go-to right here. Is you can either do like sausage and uh, sausage gravy and biscuits, biscuits and gravy. Always a staple in the South. Um, which dish stood out to you besides your boy Jackson?
3: I liked that Robert went sweet. It's not something necessarily I would look for, but I just thought it distinguished itself.
4: You're just saying that because he was kicked off. That's all you're saying. No,
3: I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, I – look, I, I'm sort of a purist in the sense that like Demar is the way I'd go. Like – Like, I, you know, he twisted it up a little bit. He did a shirt, like a baked egg rather than just a poached or fried egg. I mean, I like honey with my biscuit. So in that respect, that kind of a sweet, savory combo.
4: Is there a favorite biscuit dish that you, in America or something, biscuits and gravy or a a biscuit sandwich? Like I, I immediately think of like, of course we both love Bojangles here in in Charlotte in the North Carolina area. I love a good biscuit sandwich, but, um, the one I think of is mama's chicken biscuit, uh, from, from Yardbird in Miami and South beach, who is also that dish was, I believe conceived by a former top chef, chef, um, Jeff McGinnis. So now you can, I think you can go to Yardbird in Vegas, but the, the mama's chicken and biscuit is so good. And it's got that peppery, uh, oniony, um, honey glaze on the top. Love that dish.
3: My favorite biscuit in America is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It is the Sunrise Biscuit Kitchen. Uh, I tend to be a purist. And um, when my favorite, favorite biscuits back when I ate the old red meat thing is a steak biscuit. There is nothing (laughs) better than a steak biscuit with egg as well. I'm not a cheese necessarily on my biscuit, but I do love a steak. biscuit. like even growing up, the mass produced Hardee's steak biscuit. Because um, I grew up in a hardy state, not a Carl's Jr. state, mm. thankfully. But I love a steak
4: biscuit. What did you think about Jackson's? Because Jackson's Dish wins the quick fire challenge. He does an ostrich sausage and biscuit with scallions and a block of breaded fried cheddar. It looked like a McDonald's hash brown. <laughs> it did. It did. Padma was like, oh, God. Oy vey, how heavy this might be. And I said, oh, that looks delicious. And sure enough, he wins with that dish. Jackson coming in over the top again without the taste or the smell winning that challenge, Kevin.
3: What I love about this show are the callbacks to previous weeks. Inside jokes that get cultivated over the course of a season. And – if we remember back to the queso challenge, Jackson, in what was probably his worst effort of the show thus far, decided to be too clever by half and go with the crispy queso, which just bomb.
4: Oh, wow,
3: nice. And so his decision to do that Big block of cheddar that looked like a McDonald's hash brown on this thing was was sort of his nod back to Patton, like, hey, I'm going to get my crispy queso, whether you like it or not, and you're going to like it. And she did like it. And so it was just one of those beautiful, whimsical moments when a chef testant with ample confidence says, you know what? I'm actually going to remind the judges of how badly I screwed up and I'm going to make amends for it. And so the the block of crispy cheddar was one of my favorite moments of this episode. And it was just sort of a it was just it, it, it was so whimsical and it was just it, it was very it was very styling by by Jackson to do that. And by the way, emerging is my favorite player on my roster right now, by the way, Jackson.
4: I can't argue with that, actually, by the point system he is. And we'll talk about this later. He has the most points of any of our uh Players, Chef testants on our fantasy teams. Jackson, the one who has no, no taste to smell. <laughs> Amazing. Is that chive? Yeah. Some do it taste, you know? Just give it a mix. Chasing is not my thing right now. So. Next thing I want to talk about here is the, the ones that did not go well. Ashley, again, very disappointed in Ashley's performance on this. She goes with a fried biscuit here. Um, I expected more out of her given uh, she's an Asheville chef and she has, you know, has, I feel like to me, um, as much upside as anybody. And she makes a huge mistake here with frying the biscuit because it wasn't really cooked to, to her liking. I appreciate the desire to throw it in the fryer in, in the molecular sense is knowing I got to cook this and I've only got 10 seconds. I'm going to throw it in the fryer and put it out way too crumbly, which was one of the, the criticisms of a few dishes. Uh, Buddha, um, he, his fried chicken was fine, but the the biscuit itself was too crumbly. And Jay, um, her fried chicken and biscuit didn't go very well.
3: It looked like a proportion thing more than anything. It was just like, it, it look, we all love buttermilk fried chicken, but like it just looked massive relative to the biscuit. It was just, you know, I, I appreciated that the judges sort of said they were looking at a full ensemble, right? Like they liked Evelyn's because. She had these nice herbs and marinated tomatoes to cut through the the chorizo gravy. And and I'm I'm glad that it wasn't just a technical challenge based on biscuit. They were looking for kind of, you know, a full complement of components and whether they fit together.
4: Yeah, I thought that Damar, look, Damar has been just a juggernaut. Um, Everything he puts out has been really, really good on this show. One of our last picks on our big board um, after the first episode. But I really feel like he might be a top three on this show I mean he is just every single dish it seems like well thought well executed and I could listen to him talk for hours I mean he's got a great voice a great personality and I think he's he's emerging as a star of this show
3: you know Tom maybe next week or the week after we'll do a redraft not to redistribute the players we're we are stuck with whom we're stuck for but it would be very interesting as an exercise for you and I to quickly kind of just now see where we would actually handicap these players and how much variance they would have from our actual dr- disastrous draft a few weeks ago. Yeah, Damar would be pretty high, right? We're looking at Buddha and Damar and Jackson. I mean, actually, it would probably look a lot like the standings, which you'll do at the end of the show, sort of where each chef has in terms of accumulated points. But I like this challenge. You know, it's funny. It, 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 I like challenges that seem non-technical that actually are technical. And I like challenges that are technical that don't necessarily seem non-technical, which also brings us to our Elimination Challenge, Tom.
4: I loved this one. Ah,
3: You know, look, 19 seasons in, I imagine it's got to be really hard if you're on the production side of this show to constantly keep this stuff fresh. I mean, you can play around with venue. You can play around with ingredients. Hey, this locale where we're doing specializes in this food. Do it this way. But I think in terms of just pure conceit, I mean, Tom, tell us like what these – chefs had to do. First of all, it was also great because I can't even conceive of having to do this.
4: You don't even have to hear it from me. Why don't we hear it from the source herself, Padma.
0: For your elimination challenge, we want you to work in teams of two to create two dishes that look exactly alike, but taste completely different. I hope everyone's happy with their teams because this is a double elimination. Oh my God. A whole team will be going home.
4: And Kevin, (laughs) when Wiley Dufresne is introduced, I'm thinking this is molecular gastronomy. I'm thinking this is WD51, you know, a a sequel to his restaurant. I've never actually been to a Wiley Dufresne um, restaurant before. Maybe you have, but I actually found him to be super... Uh, impressive in this because I kind of, I don't know why the nerd in me feels like he might be a little too nitpicky on some of the actual executions of these dishes, but he seemed very bright and positive um, and effusive in his praise for a lot of these dishes. And it was not just a great conceptual challenge that the idea of a doppelganger two dishes uh, that are basically identical twins visually, but taste very differently Um, But I also thought that it was a great pairing with the guest chef.
3: To your point, like he wasn't fussy. Like, I mean, it's very fun to watch a renowned chef sit at the judge's table and say, this is so cool. Yeah. Isn't this fun? There were so many nice, dramatical flourishes about this episode because as Padma at one point says, isn't it cool to be here while they're preparing, which they were. This was one of those fire alarm challenges where you never – there is a moment where really confident Top Chef contestants – get into their groove they know they're cooking well they've got a dish to execute and they know there's a, they're basically leading by 30 in the third quarter in the kitchen you know it's going to turn out great there's absolutely nothing that can derail this particular challenge at this moment now obviously the show does a good job of, of not conveying that it's a, it's over mm-hmm. but the chef has, has succeeded and it is clear that there's nothing that's going to derail them at this point um short of not getting it on the plate this was one of those challenges where up until the last minute because there was you know, and I thought I, I thought that um Ashley said it very well. Like you're having to balance taste as you prepare this, like what is the taste what does the dish taste like with, hey, what does it look like at any point to save if you need to conform your dish visually more to your partners, because that's the challenge, do you then yep. sacrifice uh, you know your palate, and and I think that's a really difficult balance to strike. The other thing I really liked about this Tom is I sometimes feel that the double elimination challenges in this show is a lot of paying for the sins of your teammate. But what I liked here was that because it's so cooperative, it's not you do your dish, I do my dish. I mean, technically it does. It, 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 that's the parameter, but the truth is is you' it's, it's constantly interactive. You have to be working symbiotically. It was a true double elimination challenge. And when we did see who the, the final eliminated challenge uh, challenges were, it wasn't that oh one of them's playing for the sins of the others, and it wasn't just oh both of them yeah. happened to make a bad dish, and and I really like that because that is one of the great frustrations on the show. And hey, it's part of the game, and you deal with it. But so often we see these team challenges, both of you are going home, and it's someone just screwing someone else or. It, the truth is it's an individual challenge masquerading as a as a duo challenge, and this was not that, and I love that. If you're going to have a double elimination challenge, make sure the people who are going home deserve to go home, not because they happen to draw the knife of the person next to them or whatever.
4: Yeah, and they got to choose their own teams, which as you know, I love these schoolyard choose-your-own-team challenges, and I get to watch – how these teams come together. So I broke it down. Um, Jackson, of course, gets first pick 30 minutes extra and decides to go with Buddha, who is the Wiley Dufresne of this group. And what'd you think of that first off?
3: No brainer and reminded me again of despite the fact that Buddha's had a little bit of a slump, he's still a force to be reckoned with. And we'll talk about that later, about what this particular challenge to me revealed about the field. But that's such a no brainer. I don't even think, I mean, Tom, I, I don't even know. I mean, Hey, DeMar has been cooking well. But I I don't know who else you'd go with, given you know what the the demands of the challenge. Why do you go with anybody other than Buddha?
4: Yeah, and because there's been so much content or so many contestants, we haven't really gotten to see relationships form yet. Like they usually have this filler content later in the season when we're whittling down the contestants. We need to fill more time, so we get to see them, you know, hanging out back at the house or just out in the field. We we didn't get to see like who is Jackson's pal, like who is Jackson's best relationship on this show. so I was kind of thinking when he was doing his first pick, you know, who is his best friend? Maybe um, his co-pilot, comrade on this show, and and when he went with Buddha, it was clear that was just a I don't know him very well, maybe, but I just know that he is he is the on number one on the big board of molecular gastronomy. So he chooses Buddha, and then everyone else just says, "All right, who are you picking?" And what I loved about this was Luke and Nick were both on the end. Next to each other, and I kind of loved how they looked at each other for a moment and then they just moved on. No, I'm good,
3: <laughs> like, 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 yeah,
4: and I don't think we're gonna be the best fit because, like, when I saw Joe and Evelyn were standing next to each other, they just looked at each other, and like, Hey, you know, we're, we're standing next to you. How about you and I work together? And that could have gone the way for Nick and, and Luke, but no, uh, Nick moves on. And I love the deep South Louisiana marriage here between Nick and Cajun, the, the Korean Cajun and Jay. Um, they vibed right off the bat. I thought that was a great pairing. Um, you had Robert and Sarah, which we'll get into later. You had Damar and Monique, Ashley and Luke. So Luke moves on down the, down the, the, the row there and, and pairs up with Ashley. General thoughts, Kevin, when you saw the pairings, Jackson, Buddha, Luke, Ashley, Damar, Monique, Robert, Sarah, Nick, and Jay, Evelyn Joe. Did you have a big board there of like, ooh, I don't, I don't like this pairing, or ooh, that pairing, they're they're going to the
3: top. I liked Damar, Monique for the following reasons is at least from the outset, it looked like this would be a savory and sweet, or at least a good opportunity for a savory sweet. Monique is a baker. Um, and Damar has just been cooking his ass off. So had you asked me outside of Jackson Buddha who I had handicapped first I had Demar and Monique a strong second um in my in my in my in my thing uh you know Robert and Sarah interesting I think they're still both really good chefs neither has neither has had their best moments um as technical moments and so I did have a little concern there I mean it is so you're dealing with textures and I just you know Sarah has a confidence issue um Robert's cooked well, but I don't think they were any like great technical feats. And again, I don't want to over. Oh uh, no,
4: I think it's Robert who has the confidence issues from the very beginning.
3: Well, I think they both do. Sarah talks about the iceberg that is her confidence issue. They're both these sort of. They're still trying to find themselves on this show, right? And and now they find themselves in Last Chance Kitchen.
1: I think they had a great idea. I just don't think they executed the main part of the dish well.
2: Both domes are texturally off in and of themselves. Sarah's is absolutely too firm, and Robert's is a little loose. It has good
3: flavor though. are very tasty.
2: It is it beautiful. Is. I think it didn't go terribly.
3: I don't think so either.
2: But I don't think it went well.
3: And I don't want to overemphasize technicality, but this is a, I mean, I can't recall A challenge in recent seasons that required more technicality than this one and again it's one of the things i really love and not because i value technical cooking more than just good homey cooking because i i I totally love the latter it's just that it's sort of why i like the nba and not college basketball as much is i just want to see people do things i could never do can't conceive of doing it would take me years to even learn how to do and doing stuff like, like the idea of going into a kitchen and saying i'm going to make two dishes never mind like Someone else is going to make it. Like I'm going to make two dishes that taste completely different than look alike. I don't even know where I would begin. This is one of the most difficult, creative, technical, and challenging tasks they've ever had to do on this show. It is insane.
4: I kind of feel like if you're vegan, you're almost got a, an advantage here because isn't a lot of vegan menus just trying to do meat or trying to do more common dishes, but without the meat. And so you're almost substituting a meat, like, you know, like a portobello mushroom burger, right? You can almost make a, uh, some sort of burger that looks like it's beef or, um, you know, I just feel like if you're a vegetarian or a vegan chef, you're going to have an advantage in this because of that fact. Um, and I think when you're, when you're trying to conceive of a dish, I think you have to start visually. Like, like I really liked, I really liked, the idea of Luke and Ashley doing the scallops and the oyster mushroom, because you almost, you got to start with something that you know looks similar and then work yourself around. And I really love that Luke had this redemption episode here. Um, Again, Kevin, what's with the seaweed? He keeps bringing in the seaweed, keeps making seaweed kale happen. And finally it comes together on this dish. They loved Ashley and Luke while they weren't the winning um, duo. I really thought that they Really showed out here conceptually, starting with that scallop and and oyster mushroom. I remember someone told me, Kevin, and I don't know if we talked about it on this show before that like secretly, like seventy percent of scallops on a menu are actually skate. Are you kidding? It's
3: stingray meat. Is it one of these cases where the restaurant is conning us? Yes. But like when I go to my good fish market here in town, when I pay a freaking fortune for those scallops, am I getting scallops? <laughs> I, I think so. I hope so. All right. Good. Yeah. Very good. No, I'm with you. This was actually my favorite dish. Obviously, we can't taste any of them, but but for the reasons you did, it was very fun to watch Luke, a guy I've been bagging on a little bit. I, I This shows you how – this is a really – it's an interesting way to watch someone think, right? So as you say, you, you build the dish. Scallop equals oyster, oyster mushroom. mushroom. Yep. Great. Okay. Compressed melon equals pickled cucumber. Yep. Let's get some color in there. How about a carrot puree? Well, what can be something that looks like carrot puree and completely different? kamzori I mean, I just want to – can we just marvel at that for a second? One person is doing a carrot puree. Their other one is taking essentially a Japanese chili paste that kind of has an orangey
2: look. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news –
3: Not only because – I mean it's chili paste. It's not like you can just throw it in there and and it doesn't have an impact on the freaking taste of the dish. It's a massive thing. It's not
4: an empty addition.
3: But it's a perfect thing to pair with scallop, right? And then even the apple cider broth and seaweed oil broth. They built this dish. We're going to have four components. Each is going to look like each other. And so they are going to be autonomous in that respect. But then they're each going to not only taste differently from the opposing dish – but work with the actual dish. Scallop with melon and chili paste. Mushroom with pickles and carrot puree. Like, it's just so brilliant. And it wasn't the sheer, sheer, just whimsy as Jackson and Buddha, but I have like, I'm really coming around to Luke and it's probably my not appreciating how much I'm a sucker for good technical cooking. And I've always, <laughs> you know, and it's also funny when I think about my redraft, like why Buddha and Luke are probably in terms of technicality, the most technically oriented. That's not to say they're better technical chefs than the other. It's just something they, tweezery. They value that the most in their toolbox. Right. Yeah. Um, Evelyn is actually a sneaky, good technical chef, but it's just not anything she wants. It's not where she lives. It's not what she wants to show off. But let's talk about Jackson and Buddha's dish for a second, Tom.
4: Before we get there, I just wanted to make note, Kevin, how nervous would you be if Tom is asking – so you're Luke and Ashley up there on the judges' table and Tom goes – um, who decided to slice the scallop and mushroom?
3: I mean, you just have to kind of tell the truth, I guess.
4: It's a loaded question, though, right? Like when Tom Calicchio asks you, uh, "Who who decided to to slice the mushroom and scallop?" I got so nervous in that moment that. Oh no! It's it's Luke. Luke screwed up here when he was like, "Oh yeah, that was me." I, so we could incorporate the the ingredients and kind of splice them together. And then he said that was brilliant, and I got so nervous. I I love those little questions, those open ended questions from Gail, Tom, and Padma, where you don't know where they're going with it. And it, it was a curveball from Tom. Usually, when he does those open ended questions, it is always bad news on the other side of it. But this time, he just said that was a brilliant move, and you know, I thought it was a very deserving dish. But Buddha. And Jackson, the winners of this one, I mean, ugh, I'm speechless about that dish. I mean, those those two things looked identical and they were so different.
3: Had you just given me one of those two dishes, I would have thought it was brilliant and creative and so whimsical, right? Like the fact that you can do it twice with one savory, one sweet, one is essentially a fish and cheese you know, the other is strawberries. It, it was just – those strawberry bonbons were adorable, right? The paper <laughs> cream cheese bavois, which I am – I now – I've always seen them. I didn't know what it meant, but now I know what a bavois is. What is
4: it? What is it? A bavois?
3: It was the little cutesy ball kind of cream ball.
4: Oh, yeah. OK.
3: You know, basil oil. The twil was totally different. One was a, essentially an everything bagel tuile. The other was just a you know a sugary tuile. Like It was just – so pretty to look at. It was art. I was in Paris over the summer and Damien Hirst, the artist, who, you know, did shark and formaldehyde, like the highest selling piece of art, modern art ever. He's showing off these new like cherry blossom paintings and these massive, colorful cherry blossom trees. With these little exactly what you would imagine these little that look like the little salmon tartare or strawberry bonbon balls on that dish, just like across the uh, the canvas. And it was just like it was it was so artistic it was so beautiful this dish so creative so whimsical
1: that might be the best dessert we've had on top chef
3: that's a really good strawberries and cream also i love bagels locks and cream cheese and i love strawberry shortcake <laughs> yeah. and cream like it's just also like two things you just want to eat
4: yes when i go to the harris theater or the publix or the the whole foods and i get myself a little pint of ice cream watching a movie with allison I always go for that strawberry cheesecake, the Ben and Jerry strawberry and cheesecake. That's that's
3: top five for me. I love that you go to the Harris Teeter. Can we just, I just love that you live in a Harris Teeter city. Like it's basically like Charlotte, Greensboro, Raleigh, Charleston and what like. Newport news. I mean, like what are they? Harris Teeter's only in five places. It's so awesome that you're in that place.
4: It's the closest grocery store to me. I I go walk there all the time. The Harris Teeter. I noticed, uh, the Talenti ad product placement in this episode, and I haven't gotten too much into Talenti's we've done. We've talked about this on the show because they've done a whole episode on top chef. Um, but I will say that the strawberry cheesecake, uh, dessert that, that the whole motif, I'm in, I'm all in. Um, speaking of which the coffee ice cream sandwich from Monique uh, alongside the chicken liver mousse cornbread from Demar. Um, I agree here that Monique's uh, from a difficulty and execution standpoint, wasn't as, as mind blowing as some of the others, but still a really strong dish from these two.
3: I mean, yeah, apparently. And, and again, we, we, we don't know. Tom was very unimpressed with the cornbread. Um, I thought it was, look, it, it, you want two things that look to get like, the taste differently, done. Yeah. They both essentially did sandwiches, right? They both created a, quote, bread slash cake. They both created a ice cream slash mousse. Like, I'm not all that impressed given the level of chefs they are and I think the bar that was raised by the two kind of winning or top teams. And, and so if I am Tom and Gail and Padma, you know, you tip your hat job done but i don't it is a little it is the easiest version of this challenge like oh sandwiches have bread cakes kind of a bread (laughs) yeah put some schmutz in the middle oh ice cream is schmutz what else is kind of ice creamy schmutz oh moose it worked well i couldn't even come close to doing this it worked but it doesn't warrant to me top especially if the cornbread isn't good. And, you know, uh, but that that's all I'm saying is I think I get what the judges were kind of saying. Like, it's kind of the it's the simplest version. It's the phone it in version of this challenge.
4: Well, I wonder. So those were two like sweet dishes. I guess the chicken liver mousse may be a little savory, but the, the the Jay and Nick went with two noodle dishes or the daikon salad. And and then you had the udon noodles on the other side Two Savories, I thought that was risky. Is is going with two not similar dishes, but two um, from 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 the standpoint of hey, we got to go savory on one side and sweet on the other. They didn't do that. So, what were your thoughts on Jay and Nick, the the Deep South? Um, the parents of the group, apparently, uh, which Nick did not take very, very, very well. What do you think about that? I actually think it's
3: harder to do two savories. Yeah. The first variable and to do two dishes taste differently is well. One's sweet, one's not right. Like already you're starting with that. And again, that's probably the way I'd go. But I thought it was really, really gutsy to do two noodles, both of which are savory. One has this sort of, you know, the chilled lime jasmine broth that sort of that that, that sort of clean citrusy profile. And then the other being just noodles, you know, essentially pasta. Uh, Jay, you know, it's interesting about Jay in some ways. I know she didn't finish on the top in this challenge, but I'm starting to really appreciate her game and realize how much I think, you know, I certainly, and and you to some extent uh, underrated her in the early draft. Like I think she's now sort of in that upper second tier of contestants, Even something like the walnut crumbs that Wally mentioned as something he really loved yeah, is her ability to turn a really nice – I mean it is hard to do a dish that is daikon radish noodles with a chilled lime jasmine broth and this is going to taste great. Um, it's not that those things aren't inherently good or not inherently good but I just think what we're seeing from Jay, like of all the chefs in this week whose stock went up on my board – even though she didn't execute the biscuit, watching her in this particular challenge, I'm, I'm really like, Jay's got some game. And I, I think I, I, there's something about what she did here, even though it was, if she finished in the middle, that I really liked.
4: It takes real guts to to present a crumble to Wiley Dufresne, right? And, and that for not only to do it and execute it, but to get a glowing response from him about it. Well done by Jay. Not well done. The bottom two teams. I actually had them as the bottom two pretty clearly to me um, before Padma announced Robert and Sarah and then Evelyn and Joe. Let's talk about Evelyn and Joe who seem like best pals. Um, They do the cheesecake and the cauliflower um, puree with the pork belly. This was if there were going to be someone to go home and it seemed like it was... One person's mistake versus the other and you'd feel bad is the pork belly, just uh, as it was described as pork belly leather, Kevin. I I was a little nervous that this might have been Joe taking down the team, but then it is a team cooperative decision. I didn't really know this, but um, the judges really, really took issue with the way that they cooked that puree or the, the pork belly and dried it out.
3: Yeah, so I've never pressed meat. But my understanding is is that in order to effectively press pork belly, you've really got to let it cool and preferably let it cool in its stock or mm. whatever the braising – I don't think it's a braising liquid because I don't think you're braising it, but actually you might be. And you have to let it cool in the liquid. Otherwise, it gets really dry and it loses that sort of moisture that makes like succulent pork belly not leathery as it was characterized by the judges. So, again, a really a bad technical error. You kind of saw it in the water early on where Joe, you know, tells the camera this is about survival. Oof. If your challenge is about survival, like, you ain't cooking with a lot of confidence. Like, you're in trouble. Because over there, two guys making frigging jewels out of strawberry (laughs) bonbons and salmon tartare and frigging, you know. So, like, if you're just trying to survive, like, you know, if you have to ask, you're in trouble. Yeah. So, um, but I think just the technical error there. And look, we we say it all the time on on this show. You gotta you gotta nail the protein. I mean, you nail the protein, you're 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 probably not gonna go home unless you're in a very late week. Um, where everything is good and if you don't nail the protein you're going to be on the bottom some one way or the other and uh yeah so pressing pork belly is apparently very hard i've never done it never will do it um but you have to there is a cooling technique that is required that joe did not execute
4: yeah and evelyn got emotional at the judge's table um and sometimes that works not to say that it's a ploy um or a technique to go up there with some uh Uh, what do you call it? Uh, 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 What is it? Alligator tears. What is it? Why am I not thinking of this? Crocodile Crocodile tears. tears. Jesus, Tom. All right. Yeah. So crocodile tears, not, not necessarily accusing her of, of, putting on an act here, but I did, I did see that she was really worried about going home and she does not go home. Joe and Evelyn stay on the show, not on the chopping block. It's Robert and Sarah. Kevin, your top two picks of this year's fantasy draft, uh, I got to be honest. I was really psyched to see them go home from a competitive standpoint, but I felt really bad for Robert. Two episodes after winning, or a few, uh, three episodes after winning the the first episode, he goes home.
3: Yeah, I mean the panacotta shrimp terrine. The panacotta was too thin. The terrine was too firm. I think what I liked in the, you know, again I go back to what did the what did that first elimination challenge demand um that highlighted their strengths but covered up their weaknesses and i think you mentioned it at the time like it's beef yeah and it's not to say that beef doesn't require some talent but it was a very it was a very free playish challenge yeah yeah i mean the only restraint was you got to use this cut and look i'm not sorry i drafted robert as you've pointed out a billion times um you know, that's usually a very, that will get you a lot of points in our competition. I'm a little mad at myself for just not having more fun and just saying, Hey, <laughs> that's a, But, but also I don't feel like I got like, no, not, it wasn't a place to really get to, um, appreciate Jay or see DeMar's yeah. brilliance and ex you know, and sort of just his, his consistency, um, his kind of intuitive knowledge of, I know what to, I know it is going to taste good within the boundaries of this challenge because there's, frankly, a little ceiling to, to a beef challenge in that respect. So I'm, I'm sort of angry at myself for not saying, hey, like I knew I wanted Buddha. I knew he was my kind of chef. Like, what the hell am I not doing? Taking mm. Buddha, Right. Like, like that. That's what pisses me off.
4: I can't accuse you of Monday morning quarterbacking any more than I should accuse myself of trying to trade for Sarah. And then she goes home right after I tried to trade for her for basically two weeks and. They, they seemed really fun like I love the double confessionals like when the the teams are st- sitting next to each other with I, I kind of really love that about this episode and you see the the chemistry from uh, from the two of them as we saw last year I remember the two contestants last year um, in season 18 I think it was Brittany And who was the other one? Uh, Brittany and so uh, another chef on the first episode, maybe. They had a paired competition, and they were like best friends. They were best friends, and it was their downfall. Uh, Some might say that's a blessing that you have so much chemistry between the two, but oftentimes you need that tough love. You need someone to say, no, 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 no. I I think you're – I love you, but you're not coming with the right idea here. We need to switch this up. And although Sarah and Robert – seemed to be super super tight and super close. It did seem like that panna cotta just did not work and when there are a couple of panna cotta dishes on the on the board, the worst one of the two it's not going to work. It you're going to go home. You're going to get eliminated. So I I did see that Sarah and Robert uh were not able to execute that panna cotta and also like in terms of inventiveness, like innovative dishes, it, I don't know. What did you think?
3: I mean, it was fine. Yeah. I love a shrimp terrine. I love panna cotta. I think it would have been, and actually, I kind of, when they proposed it, I kind of liked it. Like, oh, okay, I get, I get what's going on here, right? Yeah. The textures are very similar and they couldn't be more different um, in terms of taste. You know, I, I don't know what to make of she's allergic to shellfish. Why would you work <laughs> with shellfish? I mean, I, I don't. Like the problem wasn't the allergy and the problem was, you know, technical flaws. And I don't think it was a taste thing. It's like, oh, my God, she's she's allergic.
4: Yeah, but Jackson can't even taste or smell at all. We can't give any bonus points for. Right. Just because she has an allergy doesn't mean she can't. And, and it's been played up on this show. But as you point out, And they
3: said it wasn't the taste wasn't the issue. It was the texture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't so. So like, yeah, maybe it's a bad call on her. I don't know that had it been salmon terrine, which you could have easily done it wouldn't have been the same issue.
4: Well, I think also on this, they, they said the, the other dishes were so strong, Kevin, that the, it's very slim margins here for error. And I think it was actually of, of this season, um, or, or any season, this challenge was so difficult and so fun. They executed amazingly well. Like when they brought out these dishes, like, Evelyn and Joe, um, Evelyn and Joe's, when I saw that, I was like, wow, I never would have thought they could pull that off, that they would look so similar. And so the bar is super high for Robert and Sarah. Um, in an average episode, I think this dish keeps them in the middle and they, they aren't sent home, but everyone was really cooking their ass off on this episode. So, um, you know, Robert and Sarah go home and I, you know, uh, Selfishly, competitively, like to see two of your contestants go home. After I saw St- Sam and Stephanie go home, and like my last two, but Jackson has really pulled through as as the juggernaut so far. And what happens, Kevin? What happens if you know, like an injury in the NBA, like Kawhi Leonard, his knee improves or his his foot improves, and he comes back in, in time for the playoffs? Like, what if Jackson? Regains his sense of smell and taste on the fly in mid-episode or mid-season. We're talking about: can he run the table? Because right now he was in the top five last week and then he swept this episode, winning the quickfire and the elimination challenge. He has 20 points in our uh, point system. Coming in at second is Damar, with 16, and then Jay at 14, Buddha at 12. I actually think Buddha is underrated by his point total at this point. I would put him at the top for me if there yeah, was a redraft. Totally. I think I would draft him number 1 overall. A little a nice moment from Buddha talking about his late father and his inspiration for this challenge. That was really sweet. And I think B- Buddha, Buddha, and Jackson and DeMar to me are the top 3.
3: It's interesting is to look at it from the bottom up too, Tom. Cuz right now among the remaining contestants, Joe has the lowest point total mm. and then followed by Monique. Now I have to tell you, I'm not, if I have Monique, I'm not all that concerned. I think what I'm seeing here is a pretty freaking competent chef Um, I don't think she's the most creative in the field, but I think she's pretty competent and I don't work in a larger field. I just don't worry about her laying an egg because she really hasn't laid one. Right. And and so like that, that to me, if I'm you, you know, cuz technically she is you know by by the numbers she is the uh, the most vulnerable person on your team right now i wouldn't worry about her joe's an interesting story I, i'd really been enjoying her her cooking she actually you know obviously she she hit an obstacle this week and you know i want to know that somebody who can go the distance is somebody who knows those are the sort of the questions in cooking like hey i need to press a pork belly um pretty advanced thing <laughs> Hey Howard. I don't know. He literally barks twice a fucking week. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Invariably it will be between in a podcast.
4: Well, he's he's saying, "Kevin, we got to bring Maze on. We got to bring our producer because we got to talk Last Chance Kitchen here." And Howard knows that Maze is number 1 pick and his last pick, Leah on Last Chance Kitchen. Wow. Leah is taking down, mowing them down. Maze, how do you feel about your, uh, your one person team?
0: Oh man. I was so worried about this potato man, Sam, the potato man coming in. You know, <laughs> what's he going to do? Is he going to extinguish my hopes of a rise from the bottom to the top for Leah? But remember, remember folks, I was curious. I was wondering what, what happens to this person? She slips through the cracks in the draft. She's unclaimed. And like you both pointed out, she was sick. She was sick in the first episode. Wow. Yeah. And both of you had her higher on your board pre first episode. But then after that episode, she didn't have a great showing. so I think I got a Joel Embiid on my hands here. All right. She had a (laughs) pre-draft injury and now she's going to get in the mix. She chipped away two points for me here. I'm
4: coming for you next. I'm coming for the whole thing. Let's get it Leah. Let's go. Yeah, Kevin. I I love this um, you know, redemption story. Your Jackson does the fried cheddar. To to you know validate his previous decision to do the crispy cheese and he says you know what I'm gonna do it better this time and Sam as they tend to do on this show last chance kitchens I still love this and I re- I forgot about the whole peanut gallery but then Steph's sitting there with the she was the lone peanut gallery there to 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 chop it up with Sam and Leah um, look. Sam's in denial. I didn't know this about Sam, but he he doesn't have a real a lot of self awareness about his food. He he said uh, this quote. I think it was I learned this from Jeff Bezos. Every day is day one. A um, little bit of uh, some character flaws here from Sam that he, he's not very self aware on his dishes. He decides to go with the grilled potato again as one of the elements of his dish. Uh, and Leah comes in with a sweet potato hash, poached egg and goja It was, you know, as Tom said, a little bit of a safe dish from Leah. Sam goes with potato, 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 and lots of fried.
3: And It looked pretty good. Apparently it was pretty good.
4: He did potatoes 18,000 ways and, uh, you know, credit to him, credit to Sam for going down in a heap of potato.
3: I think I decided despite his just absolutely benevolent nature and the fact that if the world were made up of Sam's we'd have probably no war is I think <laughs> I I think I identified why Sam bothers me a little bit and, and I realize I don't like adults who think they're cute
4: oh! <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's why I don't like Jimmy Fallon oh and I realized this early on like why do I find him so insufferable right because he, he's, he's not a strong potion, right? Like, no one should be that offended by Jimmy Fallon, unless you're like a hardcore late night comic who believes that, like, oh, who we've handed this form to is just terrible. It we'll started with Jay Leno. Why do I not like Jimmy Fallon? Because he thinks he's adorable. And I think it's completely unbecoming for a 50 year old man to think he's cute. And that's the thing with Sam. Like, he's just so, I'm so cute. Mm. You're an adult. Yeah, I know. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's the Jimmy Fallon factor. It's why I don't like Sam, even though I acknowledge that he is a fundamentally like benevolent force in the world. I still don't like him
4: for that reason. I actually like him on the Peanut Gallery. That I like his his you know cutesy, uh, adorable, cartoonish character. I like that from what he's going to bring to the table at, at, on the on the staff of onlookers. So I
3: would like the peanut gallery to be more like Waldorf and Stadler.
4: <laughs> well, we might get that later.
3: Like I think there should be more heckling. I mean, okay, and this is my appeal, and I, I know it just it's violating just the wonderful world that is Top Chef. I just, I'm ready for a little more contentiousness. Yeah. I thought this was a great challenge. You're not going to be able to reproduce a challenge this intense and this challenging every single time. I'm just ready for Top Chef to introduce a little more mean.
4: Yeah. Not
3: like, I don't mean mean, mean. I don't want bull. Bo- I want just a little, like, I want fierce competitors who, when they're out on the floor, and hey, by the way, when the game's over and, and the buzzer sounds, you know, you dap up and, and, Hug your opponents. That was a great game. But like I do would like a little more intensity between the competitors. It's one thing I think the show has lost a little bit of. I still love it. It's still going to be the best reality show ever, no matter what they do out there. But I just miss the stakes.
4: We did lose. I feel like Sam would have been the most, uh most potential in this. In no, this.
3: he's just weird.
4: It's not the same thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not. You're right. I just – in terms of characters who can make make some conflict or controversy, I feel like he had some potential. Because looking at the rest of, the, to your point, looking at the rest of this roster with Jackson, Buddha, Luke, Ashley, Monique, Damar, Jay, Nick, um, Evelyn, and Joe, there doesn't seem to be a heel among them. So we're gonna we're not gonna have that.
3: It doesn't have to be a heel. Just a little bit. It's not top chef. It's not it's not top scallop. Like I, I just want a little bit of trash talk. Just a little bit of of By the way, I love it when it's game-recognizing game, when it's two really elite competitors who just know the other's a threat and you try to play a little – I want to see some head games. I want to see – I don't need to see Kevin Garnett like getting on all fours and barking, but I'd like to see a little (laughs) bit of that, just like something. And that's all. That's my only critique of the show as it stands. It is an – wonderful place they have played they've created an amazing world populated with fantastic people i'm looking for a little competitive intensity it feels like a regular season game every week tom i want a little playoff i want to get this is getting a little chippy i want it to get a little just it doesn't have to be every week just once in a freaking while. is that leah's music that's who's
4: gonna come in and rip everyone a new one it is leah You're
0: looking for a heel on Top Chef. You're looking for a heel on Pack Your Knives. I give you the Leah Anthony Alliance. (laughs) Yes.
4: Yes. Leah's going to come in. She's going to run the table at Last Chance Kitchen, come back in the competition and give us that conflict that that not Kevin Garnett barking at uh, everyone on the on the on the. On the court, but actually, I think Leah could come in as the NWO, the alliance with Anthony Mays, and come in and be the disruptor of Top Chef. I I feel like that is what's going to happen here. Kevin, any last thoughts here?
3: No, I mean, I'm. uh, It's an interesting season. I don't know which end is up. I know who's down. Very curious to see more.
4: Sometimes the
3: best trade
4: is the one you don't make. In this case, the
3: worst trade is the one I didn't make, but. Tom. We'll continue conversations. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives.